Good morning, Maple Grove. All right, awesome. Hey, I want to read a verse of scripture to you. You may have heard it before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God created everything. He created everything out of nothing, right? I don't know anybody who's ever created a tree out of nothing, created an ant out of nothing, a grain of sand out of nothing. I mean, right now, we're on this giant ball spinning around 1,000 miles an hour on its axis, revolving around the sun at 800, I mean, 186,000 miles per hour. I don't know how that happens. Like, nothing's holding the earth up that we can see. And, and, and scientists can try to figure it out and do formulas and all that stuff, but God created those formulas. And that's the God that we came to worship today. Uh, the God that holds the galaxies in his hand, the God that holds oceans in his hands, the God who can slay giants, who can, who can part waters, you know, and the God who even right now in heaven, there are about a hundred million angels surrounding his throne, crying out, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. And that's who we came to worship today. And sometimes we can forget about it, right? Uh, we can go about our lives and things can overwhelm us. Ever happened to you? God's never been overwhelmed. And if God can hold the earth in its orbit, he can hold you and he can hold me no matter what we're going through. Amen? Amen. Father God, we love you. And God, we're in all of who you are. We're in all of your power, of your majesty, God, we know that there is no mountain you cannot move, no sea you cannot part, no giant that you cannot slay. God, you are the maker of heaven and earth. And God, you love us. You care about us. When we cry out to you, you hear us. And you're with us now. And God, I just pray that we would give you our attention. That we'd stand in awe of the God who holds everything in his hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, now last week in a conversation called, Who's Your Audience? Uh, we unpacked just one verse from Jesus's radical right side up manifesto about what life in his kingdom is all about. It's a verse where Jesus warns us about a way of living that will absolutely prevent you and I from living life fully in his kingdom. It's a verse about an addiction that has nothing to do with chemical dependency or substance abuse. And it's an addiction that all of us have battled at varying degrees at one time or another. And it's an addiction that in this age of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and where so many are consumed with being liked, being viewed, having followers, and taking the absolutely perfect selfie is pretty much at an epidemic. 2,000 years ago on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, God the Son, Jesus, spoke these powerful words about living life for an audience of one. He said, be careful, watch out, be on guard against, practicing your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, to impress them, to win their approval, to get their applause. If you do, someone say, if you do. You'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And what Jesus is warning us about 
is an addiction that's been around since the beginning. And like I already said, I think that's probably at a greater level than it's ever been in all of human history, and that is approval addiction. Here's a little definition I threw together for approval addiction. To live in bondage to what other people think of you. Ever do that? To make your life a performance to be seen by others, thereby allowing their opinions about you to shape your worth, value, identity, joy, and contentment. It is the disease to please. Have you ever struggled with this addiction? Are you struggling even now? As the old saying goes, once an addict, always an addict. Listen, we will always have to fight against the desire to live our lives for the approval of other people. And you know, as I sat at my desk Friday morning, a thought came to me that happens every now and then. And here's the thought. It is as dangerous for an approval addict to constantly be on social media as it would be for an alcoholic to spend every night in the local bar. It is as dangerous for an approval addict to constantly be on social media as it would be for an alcoholic to spend every night in the local bar. Now, I don't know about you, maybe I'm the only one, but I can be feeling pretty good about my life. And then after a few minutes of social media, seeing how perfect and exciting everyone else's family, their ministry, their vacation, their life, their food is, after drinking that deadly toxin of comparison, I can find myself in a pretty dark, discouraging, and depressing place. Yet choosing to hang out in a social media bar has not been very helpful in overcoming my approval addiction. You know, maybe some of us should take a break from social media. Could be a good thing. But if you do, do not post on social media because I need to get away from all the crazy social media. I'm taking a break from it. And then wait for how many people approve of the fact that you're taking a break from social media, right? It's just going to feed that addiction. And let me be clear. Being addicted to approval is not the same thing as having a healthy appreciation of praise. I mean, praise from others is a good thing. In fact, the Bible commands us to praise and encourage each other and even says that sometimes when we praise and encourage each other, it's a motivator for good things. Hebrews 10, 24 says, think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. I mean, what a sad world it would be if artists were never applauded, if home runs were never cheered, if graduates were never celebrated, and if children never received any expressions of wonder and amazement when they took their first steps. Yes, what a sad world it would be if no one ever heard or received a word of encouragement or praise. However, we must be careful not to let the approval of others become the driving force behind our life, behind our actions, our worth, and our identity. It's a good and motivating thing to appreciate praise from others, but it is a dangerous and kingdom life destroying thing to crave and pursue that approval. To live our lives just to be seen by others. Get it? Good. Jesus says, be careful, watch out, be on guard against, practicing your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. If we do this, live our lives to be seen by others, we will lose the reward from our Father in heaven. Now, if you're here last week, do you remember what those three of those rewards are for living for an audience of one? Treasures in heaven. Sounds good. Freedom from the tyranny of approval addiction 
and greater intimacy with God. And, and here's the bottom line in the final slide from last week that I made all by my lonesome self, right? See, it's either publicity in the world or intimacy with God, right? You can't pursue both. You can't pursue publicity in the world and intimacy with God at the same time. And let me ask you, which one is greater and which one is more lasting? That was last week. If you missed it, you can check it out online, YouTube, Spotify, tune in. And if you do check it out, I hope you like it, right? I hope you approve of it and maybe send me a note how awesome I did. Now, as we continue our discussion on approval addiction, I think it's important to point out that this warning Jesus gives, he's not saying that we should only practice our faith in secret, right? I mean, it, it's impossible to hide a city that is set upon a hill. It's impossible to hide a, a light that has been placed on a lampstand. Understand, Jesus does want your light and mine to shine so that people will see what we do and glorify not us, but glorify God. See, it's all about motives. Why do you want to be seen? What, whose glory are you really seeking? I mean, just this week in our Faith Comes From Hearing, and it's still not too late to join the reading program. For any seven days in, I've been hashing you with emails and texts and Facebook posts or whatever. But we read about Paul encouraging Timothy. Timothy, you need to let people see your faith. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and faith and love and impurity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, the preaching and the teaching. Be diligent in these matters, giving yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. He said, Timothy, let people see your faith. You know, let, let them see the progress in your faith and be encouraged by that. Watch your life and doctrine closely because it can save both yourself and your hearers. The Gospel of Matthew, the King and His Kingdom, week 25, and a conversation that we're calling Breaking Free from Our Approval Diction. Matthew 6, verse 2 starts our text. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we're going to see that same pattern in the next two four times in our text. Don't be like the hypocrites who do things to be seen. But if you do, then that's all the rewards you're going to get. And then God rewards those who do things in secret. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their word in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, 
put oil on your head and wash your face so it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. May God bless the reading of his word. And here's how I want to attack our conversation this morning by unpacking two practices that will help us break free from approval addiction. And the first is the practice of secrecy. And Jesus gives us three examples of things that we can do in secret, giving, praying, and fasting that will help us break this addiction. The second practice I want to unpack is the practice of community. Now that idea is not found in our text. However, the idea of doing life together is all over Scripture, beginning in Genesis 2 verse 18, when God looked at Adam who lived in a perfect garden paradise and said, it's not good for man to be alone. Two practices that will help us overcome approval addiction. Question, if you want to get really good at something, like hitting a curveball, playing soccer, nailing a three-pointer, running a 5K, throwing a back shoulder pass in the end zone, playing an instrument, learning a new language, improving your math or computer skills, parallel parking. What's the best way for you to achieve that goal? Practice, right? And you know what method will not work? Simply trying harder. For example, this week I decided during my sermon... to play some guitar. Okay, okay, all right, all right, that was, yeah, that was terrible. But here's my plan. You think it'll work? I'm gonna put this back in here. I'm gonna close the case. And next week, I'm going to come back and try even harder. What do you think? Is that going to work? No. (laughs) Unless the Holy Spirit intervenes. Here's what I'm trying to say. Trying harder can only accomplish so much. If we're serious about getting better at something, we'll have to enter into a life of training. See, there's a big difference between training to do something and trying harder to do something. The bottom line in life, it's not about trying harder, it's about training wisely. And this training wisely applies not just to playing the guitar or hitting a curveball, but to living life more fully in the kingdom. And that's why Paul said these words to his protege Timothy in his first letter. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. By the way, part of our faith comes from reading this week. Go figure. He says this, train, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, nothing wrong with it, have some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And listen, this idea of the importance of training lies behind Paul's advice to the church in Corinth when he said this, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, 
But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And understand the city of Corinth was the host of the Isthmian Games, second only to the Olympics. And more than likely, Paul attended those games in A.D. 51 and maybe made tents for those who were visiting or for the athletes. And understand, in those games that a competitor would strive for the crown by simply trying harder apart from training was unthinkable. In fact, an athlete had to sign up for 10 months of strict training or else he would be disqualified for failing to do so. Which is why Paul also said in that same passage that he entered a life of training so that after proclaiming to others, I myself might not be disqualified for the prize. John Orford writes the following. Check this out. Respecting the distinction between training and merely trying is the key to transformation in every aspect of life. People sometimes think that learning how to play Bach at the keyboard by spending years of practicing scales and chord progression is the hard way. The truth is the other way around. Spending years practicing scales is the easy way to learn to play Bach. Imagine sitting down at a grand piano in a front of a packed concert hall and having never practiced a moment in your life, that's the hard way. And listen, living in the kingdom is not about trying harder, it's about training wisely. And for centuries, those who were serious about spiritual growth and living in the kingdom have trained and practiced what are known as spiritual disciplines. Here's the definition of spiritual discipline. Don't let the, the D word scare you, okay? It's any activity I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot do by direct effort. Gain the power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled. It's an activity that we can practice that puts us in a place where God can transform us. They're kind of like, I picture it like a sailboat, right? You know, the power is in the wind, right? You know, you can't create the wind, but you can raise the sails. And then the wind takes you to the other side. And spiritual disciplines are you and I raising the sails so the wind of God can take us to the life we're created to live. And some of those practices are prayer, fasting, solitude, study, service, celebration, confession, slowing down, generosity, secrecy. And listen, I, I get it. it. It can be hard for us at times to see the connection between our training and our actually reaching our goal. Just like practicing scales and core progression several times a week and seem to have no connection to you playing in a packed concert hall. But even if you don't see the connection, how your training is helping you reach your goal, that connection is still there. Even if you can't see it. Like, how's this going to help me? It brings to mind one of my favorite shows from movies from 1983. Daniel-san. If you haven't seen this movie, you should see Karate Kid Part 1, the original. It's a good one, right? And he, he wants to, guys are beating him up. It's a cruel, cruel summer, right? It's a cruel, cruel summer. Anyhow, they're beating him up, and he's going to train to be in the All-Valley Tournament. And so he's training with Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi's having him wax the cars, sand the floor, paint the fence, and he can't see the connection. Like, what does this have to do with the training I want to do to reach my goal? And sometimes we go, hey, what, what does practice in secrecy have to do with me overcoming my approval condition, my approval addiction? There's a connection even if we can't see it. 
all right? Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. It's important. There's a connection. And here's a couple books. I took a picture of them. If you, it, you know, it's in your notes. You can, these are books. If you want to look at, this is not a sermon on spiritual disciplines, but at least need to talk about them if we're, you know. Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster. That's a little, little headier, you know, a little tougher read. Still very good. And then uh, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. That's a much more easy Steve read, right? Uh, it's simpler, more down to earth, and Ortberg's really, uh, really raw and real, okay? That'd be great books for you to pick up, and sometime in the future we'll talk about these. But uh, anyhow, um, three things Jesus says that we can practice in secret that will help us overcome approval addiction. He says giving in secret, right? So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do, Right? What a picture, right? You're giving, uh, you know, you're blowing a trumpet, or, or you're probably rich enough to hire a bunch of trumpets with you, right? Look at all the money I'm giving. Tooting your own horn, that could have came from here, I don't know. Um, truly, I tell you, you'll have received the reward in full. The word hypocrite, obviously, we know, right? It's a Greek word. Haparites. <laughs> Haparites, Haparites. <laughs> I, I, I practice that. Seriously, I practice that. You know, I, look it up, right? All right, look it up. It'll, it's a word. It's Greek, right? And it's, it's used 17 times in the New Testament, all in the Gospels, all spoken by Jesus, 14 times in the book of Matthew, right? He talks about hypocrites. It's a, it's a word that describes an actor on the stage who wears a mask pretending to be somebody else. Like, who would ever do that, right? Here's a few times Jesus used the word. Matthew 15, 7 and 8. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. You're wearing a mask that says I'm, you're honoring me, but your hearts are very far from me. He used it in Matthew 23. What are you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin? You're wearing the mask that says, I really care about obeying all God's laws. Aren't I awesome? But you've neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. You should have tithed without neglecting the former. In verse 25 of that same chapter, what are you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You're wearing the mask that says, I'm clean and I'm selfless, but inside you're full of just everything is all about you. Jesus has some pretty harsh word for hypocrites. Now, in our text, I, in our text, I see two types of hypocrites. Like, like one, I say, is explicit, right? We see it right there, right? You're doing your deeds to be seen by others, right? I think another's implied because in each of these three accounts, praying, giving, and fasting, Jesus doesn't say, if you give, if you fast, if you pray, he says when, right? He assumes you're going to do it. And see, it's not only hypocritical of us to do our deeds for others, to be seen by them, pretending we're something or not. It's also hypocritical of us to claim to be a Jesus follower, yet not do the things that Jesus followers are supposed to do, right? Hey, I'm a Jesus follower. I love Jesus. No, I don't serve. I don't give. I, 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 don't, I, I don't share my faith. But yet, I'm a Jesus follower. See, that, that's being a hypocrite, right? We're saying, hey, I follow Christ. I'm living for him. But yet, we don't do those things. That is hypocritical. Are you tracking with me? 
Thank you for that one person. <laughs> oh, someone out line. Thank you out there. And you're, oh man, put a shirt on. That's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It's me. You're used to it. Okay, uh, Matthew 6, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, again, he assuming you're going to give because God has always called his people to give to the needy. Deuteronomy 15, 11. For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother and be ready to help the needy and the poor in your land. Deuteronomy 15, 11. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whatever is kind to the needy honors God. And there's some other verses there in your notes as well. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like, okay, that's weird. Like, okay, don't look. That's... In other words, don't even let it be a big deal to you, right? Because we can give, we're not, we're not seen by others, but like, hey, you know, God must be really impressed with me. And God says, hey, just give. Give. Don't make it even a big deal to you that you're giving so you don't lose your reward. So this week, practice secrecy by doing something for someone in need and not letting anyone know about it. Do a favor, clean a yard, buy a gift card, pay a bill, Buy someone a meal. Just do something good and don't let anyone know. Like, don't post it on Facebook or on Instagram. Don't look for ways to work it in the conversation. Well, on my way to work today, I happened to see a homeless guy on the street and I pulled my car over and I bought him. No. Do it in secret. And listen, if you're an approval addict, it's going to be very hard, right? I find it very humbling how quickly I can turn an act of service as an opportunity to impress someone with myself. Like, I find it hard to resist the temptation. I did something good, and I gotta tell somebody. Man, I wanna tell somebody really bad so they think I'm kinda awesome, right? That's messed up. I remember we did the food downtown distribution. Sometimes I go down there and I post on Facebook how I'm down there helping, and sometimes I think, why am I posting that? You know? Steve got up early on a Saturday, hey, early Saturday morning, I'm down here passing out, you know? Yeah, there's a time to do that, but every time I check my motives, I just want people to know I'm doing that. Is it always wrong to let people know you help out the needy? Of course not, right? I mean, sometimes you helping out the needy can inspire people, but again, it's all about motive, right? Like, what is your motive? What is my motive? If it's to inspire other people, great. If it's to make yourself look good, not so great. Bottom line, acts of service or giving that are done to impress other people Acts of service or giving that are done to impress other people lose their intrinsic power to help us enter the kingdom life. Get it? Good. It's just like, okay, you did it. Next, he talks about praying in secret. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward in full. Now, how do you know if you're using your prayer life to win the approval of other people? Here's a few things I thought of because they apply to me. (laughs) When your public prayer life is longer than your private prayer life, you may be misusing it. When the words you use in your public prayers are much different than how you talk to God one-on-one. Lord God who sitteth above the heavens, we beseech you to bestow traveling blessings upon us. And should we ever wander from your path, we ask you to admonish us as we raise our Ebenezer Hither to your throne we come. Amen, right? <laughs> if, you don't, if you talk differently in public to God, 
and privately. I'm not saying always, but it's indication. Or another occasion is that when other people are praying, rather than joining them with God, you're thinking, okay, what am I going to say next? Oh, man, I wasn't going to say that. Oh, they stole that from me, right? Ever do that? I hate to admit it, I prayed like the hypocrites before. To be seen by other people. In fact, as I look through that book, I've had it a long time, John Ortberg's book, after reading the chapter on secrecy, I wrote this comment in my book. You know, I abuse my books because they're mine. Um, I wrote this on March 15th, the year 2000, 22 plus years ago. Once an addict, always an addict. I wrote, love this chapter, God, it really hit me. I often struggle with wanting to impress people with caring too much about what they think about me. And even when I say things like, the only person I care to please is God, deep down I know that my goal in that statement is to impress somebody. Last night when I had the closing prayer at the missionary rally, my main concern was what people would think of my prayer, not what you thought. How pitiful. I also find myself throwing out little bits of information for the purpose of impressing or getting praise from other people. Sermons are a constant struggle. Help me, Lord, to free myself from this approval addiction. And listen, approval addiction is so insidious that there's even a danger of me sharing that. Because you can, I can be like, hey, well, I want them to think, wow, Steve is so transparent. Steve is so self-aware. I wish all pastors could be that honest about their struggles, right? But I want you to know, my motive in sharing that is that approval addiction is real, and I struggle with it. And though I love you guys, I really don't want your reward. I'd much rather have God's, Amen. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father. Again, he's not given some legalistic rule. Oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't have a room, you know. The door doesn't close. No, he's just saying, pray in secret. He's given us tools to overcome approval addiction. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so this week, practice praying in secret. Like, pick a person and just immerse them in prayer and don't tell anybody. Find a few things to get along with God and pray for. Pray for someone who you know is lost. Pray for some major issue in our world. Pray for some need you see in our church. Pray for someone in this room. Pray for your enemy. Just pray, 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 and keep it to yourself. What is that going to do? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. There's a connection. Jesus said there was, right? Anytime you do things that you could use and impress people that you keep to yourself is another way to overcome this addiction. And here's what we're going to do. Because you've been a very good audience today. And I want your approval. I'm looking at my notes. And I have some really great stuff to share. I'm looking at the clock. And I'm saying, yo, dude. Yo, dude, you're not going to be able to pull this off. Yo, dude, you're going to have to skip some good stuff. So what do you do, Steve? What do you do? What do you do? There's visitors here. What are they going to think? I'm serious. You wouldn't believe what goes in my head sometimes, right? Barry's laughing, right? It's crazy, right? But, but here's the deal, right? This week... 
Do some good stuff for somebody else and don't let anybody else find out about it. And fight the urge, right? To post it somewhere. While I, was pa- while I was passing out blankets to the homeless under the bridge, I had a thought today. No, right? I mean, I, am I the only messed one to find a way to stick it? Well, you know, I got up at 4 o'clock. At, well, I was praying at 3 a.m. for four hours for the lost. You know, I heard a bird singing outside. and remind- No, right? Just do things for somebody. Don't tell anybody. And pray for somebody. Pray for things. Keep it to yourself. And see what happens, right? Do a little experiment. Jesus, does this wax on? Wax off? Does that really work, right? And Jesus said, you know, that if we do things, we lose our reward. But if we don't do things and be seen by others, there's a reward. Treasures in heaven. Freedom from the tyranny of approval addiction. And greater intimacy with God. Next week, we're going to talk about fasting. And we're talking about breaking down the practice of community because I cannot do it justice right now. I think I gave you enough to chew on anyhow. Don't just try harder. I'm going to try harder next time to seek approval. No. Train wisely by giving in secret, doing good things in secret, and praying for people in secret, and see if Jesus was actually telling us the truth. Amen? Hey, would you stand and pray with me? I'm actually finished before my clock went to zero, which is pretty awesome. It doesn't happen very much. If you're visiting, come back again. It may not happen. But, uh, hey, every week we, we take communion to remind ourselves of what Jesus did. And, and this is a time right now where we, we sing a song and we pray our hearts and minds for communion. We allow the Holy Spirit maybe to massage the words I tried to share in a way that applies to you specifically in a unique way. Um, if you've not picked up your communion, we have them off at the various stations. You'll find some individual cups. Also there, you'll see a, a, a basket over there, um, rather a box where you can drop an offering. Uh, you'll see a blue bucket over there. That's our compassion bucket. And, and we drop in a few dollars. Some do it online. But over the years, we have bought refrigerators and stoves and paid rent and electric bills for people just by us throwing in a few dollars to help our community. So I, I'm going to pray us into the song. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the freedom that we have in you. God, we thank you for Jesus and the love that he has for us. And God, help us right now. Help us to really live for an audience of one. God, help us to practice the things. Help us this week to do good for other people, especially those in need, and not tell anybody about it. And help us to pray for people and just keep it between us and you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.